Hi, and welcome to the SIS Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon, Senior Research Analyst at Sports Info Solutions. Jason Stark will join me shortly, as will my colleague, Andrew Kine. We do a very successful football show here, and we decided to keep a pilot for baseball. We might do more, we might not, but we're here to entertain and inform for the next half hour or so. This will be a three-segment show. The first segment focuses on our spotlight player for 2019. Our spotlight player for 2019 is Oakland A's third baseman, Matt Chapman. Chapman was the major league leader in defensive run saved with 29 last season at third base. There are so many things to talk about with Chapman because there are so many things that he does amazingly well. Chapman was by far and away the defensive run saved leader at third base. He had 19 runs saved more than the player with the next most, and that's Adrian Beltre, who's retired. Nolan Arenado wasn't anywhere near where Chapman is. He seeded the top spot to his uh, successor at the high school level. They both went to the same high school. People consider Arenado the standard setter. Now it's Matt Chapman. The reason that Chapman is so good is because he's good at picking off the ball hit down the third base line. By our range and positioning system, he was 16 plays above the average third baseman. In other words, take all the balls that Chapman could have had that were hit down the third base line over the course of a season. He's feeling a lot more of those balls than Arenado or Machado or anyone else you want to throw out there. The plus 16 is the best rating for any third baseman on balls down the line in the last five years. That's a lot of volume that he's handling and a lot of success that he's having. He's got a howitzer for an arm. He can throw the ball across like a pitcher who throws 95 miles an hour. Now, there are other guys who can get to the ball down the line and make plays, but they're not as good going in the other direction. Chapman is. He's a net positive and a solid net positive on everything else. Adrian Beltre was at that level when he was a little younger, maybe 2006 or so. Arenado's not there. Longoria's not there. There's one guy who can give Chapman a run for his money. He's not even playing the position, though. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa of the Texas Rangers. Kiner-Falefa had similar numbers to Chapman in the minors. He has similar skill going in both directions. But the Rangers want him, at least for now, to be a catcher. So there's no one there that can give Chapman a run for his money. You may have seen it in the first two games of the season. Chapman handled a bunt from D. Gordon and threw him out. He made it look pretty easy. You don't get a lot of bunt defense opportunities at third base, but surprise, surprise, Chapman's bunt run save numbers were the best in MLB. Now, for those who still say to you, I trust fielding percentage over defensive run save compared to the newer metrics, those people, they're still out there, not as many of them now as there used to be, but tell them this, Matt Chapman didn't even finish in the top 10 in fielding percentage among third basemen last season. You want to say he's not good because of that? Come on. Lastly, I do want to touch on one improvement that Matt Chapman made as a hitter 2017 to 2018, and we'll see if that carries over to this season. He got himself into considerably better accounts at the plate. He chased the smidge less. He swung at pitches in the zone a little more. He increased his rate of plate appearances, ending with him ahead in the count by six percentage points. And he pounced on the pitches he got when he was ahead of the count. Look at how he did against fastballs last year. That led to the great offensive numbers you see. A lot of 2-0, 3-1 hits and fastballs thrown to him. Combine that with the outstanding defense, and you have a player that is as valuable to the A's as Mike Trout is to the Angels and Mookie Betts is to the Red Sox. Can you imagine if he gets better? He's one of the most important players to watch in baseball in 2019. Jason Stark joins us now, senior baseball writer for The Athletic. We get to talk a few topics with him. We heard on links and read some articles that talked about Rob Manfred's interest in banning the shift. What's the commissioner's uh, position on this? Has it shifted at all? Pardon the pun. 
And where does it currently stand? <laughs> well, Mark, uh, I, I wrote one of those articles. In fact, I probably wrote the article in The Athletic that, that started this whole debate. And uh, this is not dead. If you take a look at the Atlantic League, what's one of the things that they're trying this year? They are going to study basically banning the shift. Uh, two fielders on the right side of second base, two fielders on the left side of second base, and they're going to see what happens. And, I, and the reason they're doing this in the Atlantic League is just so many differing opinions about what would happen if you ban the shift. Then, you know, for every theory about what it would do, there's a theory about what it wouldn't do or couldn't do and worries about all kinds of unintended consequences. So they want to actually see it in action and go from there. Do the players not want this thing? Do the managers not want this thing? Is, is it as, as uh, big of a uh, polarizing topic as it seems? <laughs> uh, I think you can divide this into like three categories. There's front offices, managers, coaching staffs. They are offended that baseball would do this. You know, they feel like they're just using scientific information, just like in the, in the NFL, if it's third and 27 and there's six defensive backs on the field, there's a reason for that. You know, they're probably going to throw the ball. And that's, that's, they feel like this is the baseball equivalent of that. So they're, they're offended. But when you say players, players is tricky because, like, if you pulled hitters, I'm going to say that 99% would be in favor of banning ships. That's all they complain about. Uh, pitchers, on the other hand, are really split on this. It's just incredible, and I'm sure you, you, you're familiar with this, Mark, how many pitchers only remember the four times that ball went through a hole that didn't used to exist and never remember all the outs the shift got them. So I think if they, if they asked players, more players would be in favor than not in favor, but there's just all kinds of division in almost every constituency. Have you gotten a sense that any teams are going to try something creative to beat it this year and what uh, teams might do uh, along with that on the defensive side, maybe things like uh, four-man outfield? Well, um, if, you, if you want to get into four-man outfield, I think we're going to see a big uptick in that, big uptick. Uh, we, you know, there were eight teams that did it last year, and this spring uh, the the Jays have done it. The Reds have done it. We're, you're going to have double-figured teams doing it. and It could be half the teams in baseball, maybe more. Uh, I think this is going to be one of the big innovations of the year. Just so much data that pinpoints a, at least a couple of dozen hitters in the sport who are so fly ball heavy that teams are going to do this. The problem is, I, you know, having seen this a lot this spring, as I followed around the, the Rays and, and Blue Jays in particular, is it's incredible how much open space there is on the left side, right, if you have a left-handed hitter. I, I feel like if a, you know, if a left-handed hitter bunted hard enough to the left side, he'd get a double because there's nobody within 150 feet of the ball. Um, so that, that's going to be interesting. I, I don't think – I think there are just certain situations you can't do it. You certainly can't do it with men on base. You don't have enough people in the infield to cover all the bases. Yeah, let's let's talk some things on the field quickly here. Uh, is there a team whose defense you particularly like in 2019, and is there a team whose defense concerns you a bit uh, heading into the season? You know, I think the, the, the Cubs are a team I like. Uh, I know that, that the, the metrics are a little bit split on them, but it just feels like 
they catch the ball all over the field. And you're going to have Albert Almora playing center a lot more of the time this year. I think that helps them even more. Um, and then, then the Red Sox, they're another team where the, the, the data is a little bit mixed. But as I watched them through last year's postseason, you know what really stood out is this is a team that makes the difference-making play every night. They play really aggressively. They position really aggressively. Uh, sometimes it hurts them, I think, and that's why the, the data is sometimes mixed. But very intelligently outlined defense and just the way they play the heck out of it is really effective. National League, yes or no, is Bryce Harper going to have a, a good defensive season or is he going to struggle like he did last year? Uh, I think I'll be better than last year, but I, I mean, I don't think he's going to be an elite defender. He's <laughs> not going to play center field this year, and that is definitely going to help him. I think the other thing that I think clearly hurt his metrics last year was he was about to become a fairly high-profile free agent, right? And he was in self-preservation mode. He never dived. He never tackled the fence the way and he, he hurt his current team. He did. That's a good for, point. He hurt his team then. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, uh, I, you know, I think he's going to play more aggressively this year. He used to play so fearlessly, and that, that wasn't happening. Um, the one thing that I do wonder about is last year, I know the Nationals felt there were a lot of concentration lapses. And, you know, maybe now that's all behind him because – he doesn't have to worry about his contract or his next destination or all the eyeballs on him. But I got news for him. There are going to be a lot of eyeballs anyway. <laughs> Philly fans, not uh, particularly polite. All right, last question. You talked about aggressive defense. Uh, five defensive players, your favorite five uh, to watch uh, heading into this season. This is a fun topic and a hard topic. You know, I once wrote a column that I think I'm going to revive at some point. Players I would pay to watch play defense. And that's really the way I'm looking at your question. This isn't necessarily about defensive metrics. This is about who's the most fun to watch. So I'll go number one, Nolan Arenado, a guy who dreams about the web gems he makes, has dreamt about them since he was a kid, has practiced them, like even in his bedroom, flopping around in his bed, and does it every day before games. Uh, just a human web gem. Javi Baez. I, I, I think he's, I mean, I don't know what the comp is. He's kind of uh, like the, the Robbie Alomar of his generation, just in that he's, he's just so creative. He does things defensively that nobody else does. And he plays defense at such a high level in so many positions. There's really nobody like him in the sport. Matt Chapman. Just love how aggressively he plays. Uh, he's kind of like a hybrid of, of Arenado, who went to his high school, as everybody knows, and Scott Rowland, just aggressive, creative. He, he plays like he thinks he's going to catch every ball hit. <laughs> I love that, man. Uh, Kevin Kiermeyer would be on my list. He's like the man on the flying trapeze. Don't you think, Mark? He's just, uh, just incredible, the the acrobatics and the athleticism and just the, the attitude that every ball hit is catchable, no matter what it takes, no matter what ball he knocks, has to knock down, no matter how far he needs to run, no matter how crazy the dive needs to be, just plays with that fearlessness. It's great. Um, and then the, the fifth one was so hard. I, I, I'm going to go with Francisco Lindor, but 
had Andrelton Simmons, Mookie Betts, Byron Buxton, Kevin Pillar, uh, healthy Jack Stonson, all those guys on my list are just being fun to watch. But I love players who play with a smile on their face. That's Francisco Lindor. He just enjoys everything about every second on the baseball field, including the great plays he gets to make it short. So I voted for him, but I could have voted for any of those other five guys. Five wasn't enough. <laughs> a name that you didn't mention, I'm going to throw it out there just to, to add a, a wild card to the list. Harrison Bader of the Cardinals. I think look out for him. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm <laughs> All right. About him too. I just, this is my podcast. You can yeah. be on the segment after I'm done. <laughs> Jason Stark, thanks for joining us. Hope we get to talk to you sometime soon. Mark, always great to talk to you, man. Look forward to seeing you at a ballpark somewhere. I'm joined now by my colleague, Andrew Kine, a research associate at Sports Info Solutions. We're going to talk about some new developments with our stats and have a little fun with the numbers. Andrew recently spoke at the Sabre Analytics Conference in Phoenix. We're always tinkering with defensive runs safe, working to make it better. We've made a nice improvement that gives us a truer measure of outfield defense. Can you tell us about it? Sure. So our DRS metrics are really built around how difficult it is to make plays. And we compare the likelihood of a play being made with whether or not it was actually made. And we do so by coming up with expected out rates on balls in play. And for outfielders, that's determined by how far the ball was hit, the direction that the ball was hit, and how long the ball was in the air. Uh, but we were curious about whether or not the outfield wall also played a role. And our research indicated a couple things. Uh, one being that in general, balls that are hit within three feet of the wall are converted into outs much less frequently than other similar batted balls that are further away from the wall. And secondly, we found that the expected out rates that our DRS systems use were on average significantly overestimating the likelihood of making plays around the wall uh, within that same three foot margin. So who will this most likely affect? So it should affect players who play in front of large walls like Andrew Benintendi or Jackie Bradley in Boston or Gregory Polanco in Pittsburgh. It's worth noting that that balls that are high off of walls, like if you can imagine a play at Fenway that, that goes really high off the Green Monster, those plays are, are already excluded. So we're really only looking at, at plays that are within reach. Um, but those guys should should benefit and, and also possibly other guys who play in unusually configured parks where they have to contend with walls in areas where players in other parks don't have to. Certainly Cleveland would be another of those uh, parks where the outfielders uh, should see a benefit of it. How does this enhance our understanding of defense? Yeah, so there's there's really two problems when when those expected out rates around the wall are they're overestimated. One is that when a player doesn't make a difficult play, then he's penalized too much. Uh, and the other side of that is that when a player uh, does make a difficult play, he's not rewarded enough. So being able to properly estimate the difficulty of, of plays is really important for the system. And we think that we're improving that with this update. Our colleague, Brian Reef also spoke at the Sabre Analytics Conference. He's doing research on outfield shifts, the kind of defensive positioning that you see for the extreme power hitters or the guys who don't hit the ball hard, and then the guys who hit the ball to the opposite field at extreme late rates, like TJ LeMayhew, Joe Maurer, who's now retired. A lot of this work is being done for teams, so we can't tell you everything that we're working on, but we can do, tell you that the teams that do it the most are the sabermetrically inclined teams, like the Houston Astros, Tampa Bay Rays, uh, certainly among them. Sticking with outfields, Andrew recently did an article for our blog, sportsinfosolutionsblog.com, on four main outfields, which hitters can expect to see them this season. 
So when I started digging into it, I, I really wanted to look at two things. I wanted to look at, at players who hit very few grounders to their non-pull side. So essentially teams can leave that side of the infield vacated, much like you see in, in regular infield overshifts. And I also wanted to look at players who hit a lot of balls in the air to the outfield. So your fourth infielder might actually be more useful out there. And the players who appeared near the top of those two lists were Matt Carpenter of the Cardinals, Joey Gallo of the Rangers, and Reese Hoskins of the Phillies. Carpenter was actually at the very top of both of those lists, and he's certainly a big candidate for it. Gallo actually saw several four-man outfields against him last year. Uh, but I think the most interesting one for me would, would be Hoskins. Uh, the other two guys and, and a lot of the other batters who appear on these lists are left-handed, but obviously Hoskins is a righty. And overshifting righties in general is, is more difficult since you're leaving the right side of the infield open and the first baseman can only stray so far from the base. So I'd be interested to see how teams use it against someone like him. Now, as someone who watches the Mets a lot, the player that I thought uh, I would expect to see get that kind of treatment if the Mets were going to do it would be someone like Freddie Freeman, who kills them, who always hits the ball to the outfield against them. Are there any guys who were not on this list that you compiled that's in this blog uh, that you thought that should have been on this list or that could have been on this list and weren't? Probably for me, it was, it was Bryce Harper because he was, he was kind of the inspiration for looking at this. Uh, given that a lot of the buzz in, in spring training was around him and that the, the four-man outfields were being played against him in the Grapefruit League. Uh, to be fair, he was still in probably about the upper third or upper quarter of, of players who fit that criteria, but he wasn't necessarily in that that Carpenter or Gallo group uh, near the top who you feel pretty confidently about about where they're going to hit the ball. Separating sabermetrician from fan here, would you want your team to play a four-man outfield? It's hard to say. I, I want them to to have all the benefit that they can. Uh, it's, it's hard to say whether or not that it's actually going to be worth the risk. I think that's something that, that we're going to have a lot of fun trying to analyze. Uh, I think it's going to come down to how the hitters react. We saw last year when, when the Cubs tried it against Matt Carpenter, he, he laid a bunt down perfectly and he took the single. But at the same time, the players seem to be a little bit against that approach. Uh, because they're essentially playing into what the defense wants them to do, and, and they want the hitters to be uncomfortable. Uh, so the, the team seem like they're they're confident that it's going to give them an edge and that, that it'll be worth it, but I think I'll be a little skeptical in, until we, we actually see that action. If Bryce Harper or Freddie Freeman wants to lay down a bunt against the Mets or the Phillies, hey, let them. Two other things I want to tell you about. You might not have uh, you might have noticed a few new columns on the Fangraphs leaderboards. They now list team shift runs saved on the team fielding page, and they list strike zone runs saved, not just for catchers, but for pitchers too. Team shift runs saved gives you a look at which teams are getting the most value out of their shifting. Some teams shift a lot like the Rays, some don't like the A's, but they both get a lot of value out of it because of the varying levels of how good they are at it. To be clear, this is from the perspective of, is the shift working to get ground ball and line drive outs that it should get? It doesn't factor in home runs. It doesn't factor in walks. It doesn't factor in strikeouts or such. It's just answering that one question. Strike zone run save for catchers, that's our pitch framing metric. We do things differently than most people that measure that. We split the credit for called strikes among pitcher, catcher, batter, and umpire. The catcher and the ump get most of the credit. The pitcher gets a little bit, and you can see how that's reflected uh, in the numbers on the Fangraphs pages. On the catcher page, this allows us to see who's doing a good job and who's not. Among the leaders last year, Max Stasi, Yasmani Grandal, and Jeff Mathis. Jeff Mathis was fantastic on the way to winning a field, but Fielding Bible Award. He's now a member of the Texas Rangers. We'll see how much he improves that pitching staff. Nick Hunley among those at the bottom of the list. 
The easiest way to explain how it works is just to think of it as which catchers are getting both the pitches that they should get and getting pitches that they shouldn't get. Maybe the pitches that are a couple of inches off the plate. Those tend to be your top guys. Andrew and I each wrote articles on the SIS blog on those stats. I wrote about the age shifting success, and Andrew looked at which catchers get the high strike. With that, I want to close the show. We're going to have a little fun. Back on a podcast I used to host, we had a segment called Ridiculous Question of the Day. We don't have any questions here. We have lots of numbers, but let's do a ridiculous number of the day. Andrew's up first. So I don't know if mine's going to be quite ridiculous as the one that you could come up with, Mark, but I wanted to tie it back to something that, that we just talked about. And Matt Carpenter had 410 batted balls in 2018. Only nine of them were grounders or short liners to the left side of the infield. So when you put a ball in play, only 2% of the time was it going to where the shortstop or third baseman would traditionally be. And that's why he's a candidate to see the four-man outfield. Matt Carpenter, guy who's going to bunt a lot this year, you think? I think so. All right. All right, my ridiculous numbers of the day. Well, the manager of the Padres, Andy Green, once said that he learned everything he needed to know about positioning from one man. He watched that player excel at multiple positions without being flashy. He was just always in the right spot. He was talking about the current manager of the Brewers, Craig Council. Craig Council is the only player to record at least 20 runs saved in a season at both second base and shortstop. He did it in back-to-back years at age 34 and 35. No one's even playing at 34 and 35 these days. That's one ridiculous stat. Here's another. Council and Ichiro are the only two players to record a season of 30 runs saved in their 30s. The Brewers are making an interesting move this season, playing Mike Moustakis at second base. And when I try to evaluate, at first I thought, that's a ridiculous move. But I keep coming back to one thing. When it comes to defense, Craig Council knows what he's doing. And with that, we close out the pilot edition of the Sports Info Solutions podcast. Please let us know how we did. You can follow us on Twitter at sportsinfo underscore SIS. Find us on LinkedIn or check out our blog, sportsinfosolutionsblog.com. I'd like to thank Jason Stark for joining us, my colleague Andrew Kine, and our producer, Justin Stein. Enjoy the 2019 baseball season, everyone. We hope to talk to you soon. 